take it. Whatever happened to no collusion? President Trump says he would take dirt on an opponent from a foreign government. Well, there's nothing wrong with listening. Then tries to dial it back after a storm of criticism. The right answer is no. Can Americans trust this election will be free of foreign interference? And on the brink, two tankers attacked in the Gulf of Oman. The State Department blames Iran. Iran is lashing out. One breakout candidate warns about the dangers of escalation. The United States hardly has a foreign policy at all. 2020 Democratic candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg is here. Plus, on your mark. As the president gears up for his official campaign launch, polls show him losing to Democrats in key states. With the stage set for the Democratic debates, one candidate makes the case that he, not the Democrats' frontrunner, is best to take on Trump. I'm going to focus on the future. 2020 Democratic contender Beto O'Rourke joins us exclusively. Happy Father's Day. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is still able to be shocked. This morning, a brand new controversy involving President Trump, Russia, and the press, this time over a New York Times report, that the U.S. government is ramping up cyber attacks on Russia's power grid. The Times notes in the story that the president has not been briefed in detail about the efforts because of broad concerns he might countermand it or discuss it with foreign officials. Overnight, the president tweeted the story is, quote, not true. And he accused the New York Times of, quote, a virtual act of treason, which is an odd charge if the story isn't accurate. But beyond that, of course, it's, of course, chilling for the president of the United States to accuse the free press of treason. The New York Times released a statement saying, quote, accusing the press of treason is dangerous. We described the article to the government before publication. As our story notes, President Trump's own national security officials said, there were no concerns, unquote. This caps off a week dominated by new fears about the security of the 2020 election after President Trump said this in an interview with ABC News. I think you might want to listen. I don't, there's nothing wrong with listening. If somebody called from a country, Norway, we have information on your opponent. Oh, I think I'd want to hear it. The comments drew criticism from Democrats and Republicans in a stern statement from the chairwoman of the Federal Elections Commission, who is a Democrat. On Friday, the president tried to clean up his comments, saying in another interview, quote, of course you give it to the FBI. But the president's remarks drew harsh condemnation from those who also might be the subjects of information from foreign governments, the president's opponents in the 2020 presidential race. And joining me now is South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Buttigieg, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Great to be with you. So uh, the, the biggest news of the week, um, arguably President Trump's remarkable comment in his ABC News interview saying that he would theoretically be willing to accept help from foreign governments in the 2020 election, wouldn't necessarily go to the FBI. He's since tried to walk back a bunch of his stuff. But what was your response when you heard him say that? It's both unbelievable and all too believable. It is morally wrong, legally wrong, politically wrong. You don't accept help from foreign governments, especially at a moment when America is reeling from the fact that our democracy was successfully attacked and interfered with in the last election by a hostile foreign power. If you get an offer of uh, material help from a foreign government, you call the FBI. This shouldn't be difficult. This shouldn't be complicated. Your fellow 2020 Democrat, your opponent, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, said this week that if she is elected president, her Justice Department would have no choice uh, but to go forward with obstruction of justice charges against 
President Trump. Would the Justice Department under a President Buttigieg feel the same way, do the same thing? My Justice Department will be empowered to reach its own conclusions. Two things are true and clear. One, uh, nobody is above the law. And two, the prosecutorial process should have nothing to do with politics. Uh, the less this has to do with the president, the better. Right now, we have a president who seems to think that the president can just dictate what the DOJ is going to do, call for political opponents to be jailed. Uh, I believe that the rule of law will catch up to this president. It doesn't require the Oval Office putting any kind of thumb on the scale. I trust the DOJ to reach the right determinations, at least the DOJ that I would appoint and set up. Uh, and the less that has to do uh, with directives coming out of the White House, the better. Sounds like you have an issue with Senator Kamala Harris saying that. Well, I'm just speaking to how I view the issue. But again, I think we can uh, maintain these two principles, that nobody is above the law and that uh, prose prosecution decisions should have nothing to do with politics and should come from the DOJ itself, not from the Oval. Let's turn to Iran. The United States is blaming Iran for an attack on two tankers in the Gulf of Oman this week. The U.S. says this video that we're showing you right now proves it. Uh, the U.S. government says it, it shows Iranian sailors removing an unexploded mine from one of the tankers. Secretary of State Pompeo called the attack part of, quote, an unacceptable campaign of escalating tension by Iran. Do you agree? And how would you respond if you were president right now? Well, I think we need a, a measured assessment of information as it continues to come in. There's no question that Iran has a pattern of malign activities. There's also no question that there is a pattern that is disturbingly reminiscent of the run-up to the war in Iraq, in some cases being driven by the same people. I mean, the fact that one of the architects of the Iraq war is the president's national security advisor right now. When the president himself has pretended that he was against the Iraq war all along, this is shocking and it should be extremely disturbing to all of us. You know, somebody uh, who felt five years ago when I left Afghanistan uh, that I was one of the last troops leaving and five years ago notes that we're still there and pretty soon you're gonna be old enough to enlist and be sent over and have not even been alive on 9-11. I think we've learned as a country in my lifetime just how hard it is to end a war. We'd better be working very hard to make sure we don't start one. But and when you look at the destabilizing chain reaction mm -hmm. that appears to have been initiated when this president withdrew us from the Iran nuclear deal, I'm very concerned about the stability of the region and the possibility that this is a dynamic that even the president won't be able to control if it continues to move in the direction of escalation and hostility. But what would you do if you were president? Because uh, whatever you think about the path that the president is taking, Taking us in terms, taking the nation in terms of withdrawing from the Iran deal, sanctions on Iran, uh, sending a, a fleet uh, to the region, to the Strait of Hormuz. Um, this is an act of violence by Iran. If you believe Secretary Pompeo and the Pentagon, do you believe Secretary Pompeo and the Pentagon that Iran is behind this? And what would you do? So, as president, the first thing I would do is consult with the intelligence community and not politicize their findings, but try to find out what's going on. I think at this point, there's still a lot that we need to make sure we understand about what's going on there. There's no question that the U.S. has an interest in maintaining the security and safety uh, and freedom of movement in those key shipping lanes. Uh, there's also no question that whatever we do, we need to make sure that we're not contributing to a dynamic that could become more and more unstable and could lead to something that could get away from the White House itself. Do you believe Secretary Pompeo? Uh, based on what, we, I mean, what we've seen is uh, video evidence, but I think we also want to see a lot more uh, context about exactly what's happening. And that's hopefully what's being made available to the president, perhaps in forms that can't be made public. That's the question, the set of questions I would be asking as president. And on the public side, uh, we're going to have to see more information come in.
You gave a major foreign policy speech this week where you hit President Trump's foreign policy, but you also said, quote, for the better part of my lifetime, it has been difficult to identify a consistent foreign policy in the Democratic Party as well. So you don't think that the Obama-Biden administration had a consistent foreign policy? I think that ever since the Iraq war, it's been difficult for the Democratic Party to really feel out what we believe the uh, limits, the boundaries, and the basis of foreign policy can be. We were so horrified uh, by the wrong steps taken toward Iraq that I think some in the Democratic Party felt pushed in the direction of isolationism, which uh, I also don't think is the right way for us to go. And I, so I think now is a moment, given that in some ways the politics around foreign policy in this country have been scrambled uh, for my entire adult life, I mean really ever since the end of the Cold War, that we establish a new set of foundations for how American values, American interests, and American relationships are going to interact with each other. You rolled out a major plan um, to help African-Americans this week. You're calling it the Frederick, Frederick Douglass Plan, one major plank of the proposals, cutting the number of incarcerated individuals in the United States in half. The vast majority of prisoners in the United States, of course, are not under federal jurisdiction, as I'm sure you know. So how would you make that happen? It's true that a lot of this is playing out at the state level. Uh, so the federal government can lead by example with what we're doing in the federal system. Uh, but we should also be engaging states, press, pressing them and helping them get resources to do this the right way. Uh, you know, at the federal level, it's going to take a commission gauging how we can best use clemency power to help unwind incarceration that's no longer doing any, uh, not meeting the intended goal and doing more harm than good. Let's turn to the border. Uh, border facilities for migrants are dangerously overcrowded right now. Border apprehensions are skyrocketing. The White House has proposed a $4.5 billion spending package. Most of it goes for humanitarian aid, for uh, new places for these migrants. Uh, some of them are children, some of them are not, uh, to stay. The New York Times editorial board says, quote, in short, it is time for Congress to stop dithering and pass emergency funding to deal with this nightmare. Democrats are standing in the way of this. They don't agree with it. Um, is it possible that your party, Democrats uh, in Congress, are putting politics above what these migrants need right now? I think what we most need is comprehensive bipartisan immigration reform. I, I understand, but I'm talking about the emergency right now. I get the, the bigger picture issue. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not against uh, directing more funds in order to help with the issue at the border, but uh, I think part of the reason why there's such frustration, concern, and even resistance uh, among congressional Democrats is that uh, it's not doing anything about the bigger problem. We got a president who got elected on a promise to fix immigration, whatever that meant to him. And what we've seen is that uh, all of the issues that were with us then are with, with us now, and issues at the border, including a humanitarian crisis created by this president through cruel policies like family separation, are only getting worse. Meanwhile, uh, the one thing that would really help the issue of uh, increased migration flows from Central America, uh, the words of one migrant who said, I'm not here to seek the American dream. I'm here because I'm fleeing the nightmare in Honduras. Uh, we're actually, under this president, seeing a threat to take funds away from stabilizing those Central American countries. Uh, we've got this completely upside down. And uh, measures that are designed to uh, put out fires uh, in the near term uh, would be a lot more convincing if they were set up in the context of an actual immigration reform, which, by the way, if you're talking about Americans, people on both parties want to, in both parties want to do it. If you're talking about Congress, not so much. And I think the real dark fact behind all of this is if immigration were solved, if we had comprehensive reform, this administration could claim it as an achievement, but it's more useful to them as a crisis, unsolved, than it would be as an achievement if they actually did something. Your first wedding anniversary, 
Yeah. Uh, congratulations to you and Chaston, also coming at the same day as Father's Day. You said you hope to have children in the future, but that your presidential bid has slowed that down a bit. Do you think if you're elected president, hypothetically, that you will plan to start a family in the White House? Uh, I don't see why not. I, I think it, it wouldn't be the first time that uh, uh, that children have arrived uh, to a first couple. But obviously, that's a conversation I'd better have with Chaston before I go into it too much on television. All right. Well, happy anniversary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. As the 2020 Democratic candidates prepare for their first debate, Beto O'Rourke is already throwing some shade at the frontrunner, arguing for generational change. So why are the top three Democratic candidates over 65 years old? 2020 candidate Beto O'Rourke will join us live next. Stay with us. Back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. The Democratic presidential candidates have been split into two groups for their debates later this month, prompting lots of speculation about who might stand to benefit. The front runner, former Vice President Joe Biden, will take the stage with a target on his back, with several of his opponents already criticizing his record, including my next guest, Democratic presidential candidate and former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who joins us now live from South Carolina. Congressman, thanks so much. For joining us uh, on Friday, uh, you learned your draw for the Democratic debate later this month. You're going to be debating on the first night. You had a splashy entrance into the race, but since then, it seems as though you've been struggling to gain support. What do you think went wrong and, and what are you going to do to try to fix it? Look, we've got a, a ways to go to be able to meet everybody, bring folks into this campaign and make them aware of why this is the election of our lifetime. So if, if I were to rely on polls right now, it would be as though um, that was going to decide the future of not just our race, but the country. And we can't allow that to happen. I've never relied on polls running for Congress, running that race in Texas for the United States Senate. I won't rely on them now. And as president, I won't rely on polls to do what is right. So we're going to continue to show up for everyone everywhere, bring them in and make sure we're up for the greatest challenges of this country's history. President Trump made headlines this week by saying uh, that he would be willing to accept a foreign government's dirt on his Democratic opponent. You said after those comments that the message Congress is sending to the president by not impeaching him is that he can act with complete impunity and that there were, quote, no consequences for his actions. So are you saying that the Democrats are essentially enabling President Trump's willingness to take foreign information by not impeaching him? Yeah, if, if there are no consequences, if there's no accountability, if there is no justice, then we will have set the precedent that it is okay to accept help from a foreign government. It is okay to obstruct the investigation into the interference in our election, and that this and any future president can continue this kind of behavior. So impeachment is incredibly important to get to the facts, to discover the truth, to make sure that there's accountability for the undermining of our democracy, but also to send the signal that this can never happen again, to send the signal to Russia, to send the signal to Donald Trump, to send the signal to this country that we will save this democracy. It's the only way that we're going to be able to meet the challenges that we face. It's the only way that we're going to be able to maintain our system of quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.